The following is a presentation of Morning Drive Media. Broadcasting from the still beautiful but slightly hot Studio City, California, this is the Knapsack Files, and I'm Ken Knapsack, back on the horse again, the broadcasting horse here. The studio has been shut down for a little bit due to trips to Comic-Con and other uh, things uh, of life taking me away from my beloved microphones here, but we're back in a big way with a guest that I'm so happy to have on because I recently met him through the Schmoes No movie show, and he came in like a whirlwind of happy and... If you know me, I am the opposite of a whirlwind of happy. I'm a tornado of sad. So uh, to get this man in my life for even two minutes, I was like, "Who? This? I want this guy around all the time. So here he is from Access Hollywood and a lot of other things, including Profiles, a new show on the Schmoes No Network with uh, Alicia Malone. This is Scott Mance. Well, Ken, thanks for having me, my friend. It is great to be here. we got so much to talk about. We're going to we be do. here all night. We're going to be here for about four hours talking about the Beatles. So, I'm down with um, that. That's, uh, that's one thing we have in common when i followed you on twitter and i saw your uh, i was like oh now i even like this guy more yes sir i love this guy you now i want to get right into what what people will recognize if they've been around you for two minutes and i want to dive right into what what drives that your enthusiasm for life i i'm just i i'm a i wear my heart on my sleeve love it i get very excited about the things mm-hmm. that i love and i'm not afraid to hide it right now when i was a kid that you know, was a little bit tough because when I was growing up and I was just in really, Philly, right? In Philadelphia, Northeast okay. Philadelphia, okay. where I'm from. Lived there till I was uh, till 1991. Moved out here, never right. looked back. Now, when you're that young, when you're a kid in the 80s, growing up, and you profess your love yeah. for Star Trek, <laughs> that is not cool. <laughs> That is not back cool. Back then, no. No, back then, no, the, no, no. Yeah, the geeks did not inherit the earth. But the beauty was that I turned. I've been very, very lucky in that I've turned the things that I love into a career. I did a Mm. lot of work with Star Trek, and now I'm doing a lot of work with movies. Two things that I really, really love the most, and I really feel very lucky. I'm grateful. I've got a lot of good things going on in my life. I don't take anything for granted. And I just feel like the energy and enthusiasm that I have it's pure. It's genuine. Yeah. If I, it works both ways. If I don't like something, I'm very vocal about it. If I love something, <laughs> I'm very vocal about it. Oh, we got. I got to see that side of man's, the mean man's. No, yeah, and that's the thing. When you're around you, that the first appearance you had on the Shmoes No Show, and you, you, you saw my new segment. You were so, uh, you know, very kind in, in your uh, appreciation of my segment. And 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 it's for a person like me. Sometimes it's hard to take someone going. I really like what you did. Um, Everything it could be easy to say, who this guy's just kind of crazy. He's yelling and pit boss and yeah, yeah. But I quickly learned, no, no, that's that is it comes from a very sincere point, a very sincere point in your soul. That's ingrained. Okay, first of all, last night, yeah, last night I went to see Paul McCartney oh, at Dodger Stadium. Yeah, okay, we're talk about that. And and before we really get into that, yeah, I, I met up with one of my colleagues there, this guy named Buddy Singer, mm-hmm. and we were talking, and when he could, everybody, I was so excited to be there, and I was like, right. you know, I had the fist pump, I was just ready to go, and the 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 people sitting behind him are like. Uh, Wow, this guy's got a lot of energy. And he goes, he's like this all the time. <laughs> but Ken, I got to tell you, when I did Schmoes No yeah. radio show, the Schmoes No uh, movie show for the yeah. first time, mm-hmm. it was the most fun, really, that I ever had talking about movies. Yeah, It was so much fun. I had an absolute blast. And sitting on the couch 
watching the pit boss in action. <laughs> I swear to friggin' God, I was not worthy. Uh, I was just did. bowing to you. I was blown away. Literally. I was, this guy is a friggin' rock star. I want to know this guy. I want to be friends with this guy. Yeah. This was brilliant. And I just heard the work you did for us on Profiles. With, oh, yeah. And Alicia. And yeah. I was like, I, that was great. Absolutely. And actually, when Alicia and I were putting together our rundown yeah. for for Profiles, and we had a couple of segments we knew we were going to pre-tape, I said, how about having the pit boss do the VOs for this? And she's yeah. like, yes, great idea. <laughs> and I was like, so, I, I heard it for the first time. I just came to the taping. Oh, I nice. heard it for the first time because I didn't get the, the use of the file until, yeah. until this afternoon. And I was like, Oh, could not have been better. Awesome. Well, could not have been better. You know, I, I, I have a lot of things going on, and I'm busy and everything, and then she emailed me. I could not say no to Alicia Malone. Yeah, she's great. You too. She but is But come best. on, I couldn't say no to her. I was yes. like, yeah, absolutely. I, I knocked it out Friday night trying to get those done for you guys. So I'm going to hopefully we do that going forward. That's yes, we are. Be, uh, That's the plan. Good. Yep. So uh, let me. Growing up, you said you you had to you know being a Star Trek fan, you had to keep your your heart on your sleeve or under your sleeve. But uh, at what point did you kind of become this happy guy? Well, you know, when I was growing up, I was a little shy. I was very shy. I wow. really was. That's I, a transition, buddy. Well, because <laughs> it, it, it was a huge transition, and people who knew me back then. And and see me now. Of course, they're all Facebook friends because sure. they're all like, "Oh my God, that guy's on TV!" Like, right. well, you well. Didn't, you didn't have this appreciation for me when I was like fourteen, <laughs> but you know, I was not into sports, at least mm. not back then. And I I tried to play, and I was horrible at it. So that wasn't me good. too. And I mean, I liked sports. I mean, I love sports now, but at the time, mm. I just wasn't into it because I wasn't good at it. And I found my friends, so to speak, mm. in Star Wars and in nice. Star Trek. I read Spider-Man comics, then I discovered the Beatles, and to this day, these are things that I that I really, really love. But mm. I think what really brought me out of my shell, mm -hmm. what really just sort of made me embrace the happy-go-lucky side of me, was when I was a, a sophomore in college, I got my first job, mm -hmm. and it was waiting tables. So you have to talk. So you have to talk. Bingo. Mm. So suddenly I'm doing this job where I didn't really like to talk, and suddenly I have to. And I was like, hey, this talking thing, it's pretty good. Well, okay, then let me ask you that. That's a great point because I, I've been a very shy. If you knew me 10 years ago, we wouldn't be having this conversation no because kidding. I was still shy in the corner. That That is surprising. Despite being on stage at the Groundlings and, and doing stand-up stage, and I still generally quiet. You put me in a room with – 12 people I'm going to shut up but at some point like I'll go out with the schmoes and everything I'm finding myself over the last five years have changed dramatically at some point I believed it at, is was that the point when you're being a, a waiter that you started to believe that you could be this happy talkative, talkative communicative person that was the dividing point between the life I had and really the life I have now that's a great phrasing dude. I understand what you mean because I is, have that too yeah it is really when I became Mance it is when I became <laughs> this guy because yeah. I realized that not only did I need to talk to the mm -hmm. customers, but by being up and vibrant and playful and jokey with them, mm -hmm. they tipped me a little nicer. Sure. And it really just sort of took off from there. And when I went away to school, I, mm -hmm. I, I definitely liked college a whole lot better than high school. Yeah. But really, the uh, the – I had the life I had in Philadelphia, and then I have the life I have in L.A. Mm. And when I moved to L.A. on December 21st, 1991, wow. that was when I was born. Gotcha. Really. 
that was when I was born because growing up in Philadelphia, I you know, my parents are great. They mm -hmm. really, really are. But my brother, who's five years older than me, bit of an overachiever, really good at sports, really good mm. at school, very, 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 very successful in his work and his career. And it was hard growing up in that shadow. Sure. I had to leave Philadelphia to invent myself, really. Mm -hmm. When I moved out here, that's what happened. I started with nothing. I knew nobody, and I was able to build my life and my reputation without anybody saying, like, hey, say hi to your mom, or hey, right. how's your brother doing? Hey, Scotty, how you doing? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. None of that. So all the things that I that sort of defined me, made me who I am, the, especially where it came mm -hmm. to the hobbies, I've been really lucky that I've been able to turn that into into a career. Uh, yeah. For the first 10 years I was living in, in LA, I mm. worked for this company called Creation Entertainment. Hmm. They run sci-fi conventions and Star Trek conventions oh, right. yeah. that I went to when I was a kid. So for like all this time to be able to work in the, you know, I met all the all the Star Trek stars and everything. Right. And and for the first like five or six years, that was cool. But sure. then it turned into a job and that's sure. what I need, you know. But then the internet became very became viable. The became the internet. Became the internet. <laughs> and I started reviewing movies online. Right. Found a voice that I didn't even know that I had. That mm. changed the course of my career. It took me into the direction that I've been following now for 15 years, yeah. reviewing movies, doing stuff as a producer and as a field reporter and as an on-camera correspondent yeah. for Access Hollywood and other things. Sure. And honestly, Ken, yeah. I'm, I feel really lucky because lightning struck twice for me. Mm. It struck once when I got the job at Creation. It struck twice when I got the job at Access Hollywood. I'm sure that's a little bit of, uh, look, success is always, uh, there's some luck in success, but, and you're saying I, I, lightning strikes twice. But a lot of it, I'm sure, not knowing you during these times, had to be the own momentum you created for yourself, though, a little bit, right? It definitely was perfect timing for me to reinvent myself for the mm -hmm. second time because if I had tried to now, let's say I've been doing this other job for 20 years instead of just 10, mm -hmm. if I tried to do that now, I don't think I would have succeeded at it. Mm -hmm. I was at the right place at the right time because back in the late 90s, you had a lot of people who were writing reviews and and commentary about movies on the internet yeah. not getting paid for it doing it because they just love to do it right. and that I was able to turn that into a career but if mm. I had waited longer to do that it wouldn't have happened or I certainly wouldn't have been able to make a living at it yeah. but I feel like it's definitely a cross of of that that I was that I love doing it and that I was lucky to be in the right place at the right time. Hmm. But I also feel really blessed, like like someone's sort of looking out for me. Sure. And probably Mike Schmidt from Mike back Schmidt. in the day. Yeah. He shoots, he scores. <laughs> Way to go there, Pit Boss. Well, yeah, yeah. Are you a Philly fan? Philly, yes, Philly of fan? Course. Okay. Yankee, Gotta be. Yankee fan myself. Yes. But Schmidt. Michael Jack Schmidt with his five hundredth home run. Damn, uh, you're Harry right Ka on. Harry Callis. Harry Callis. Harry Callis. Oh Callis, my god, man. look at you go. Love, love Harry the impressive. rest in peace. Um <laughs> Most impressive. Absolutely impressive. Most, Most impressive. impressive. <laughs> um we got to get you on the Star Wars show too to talk oh, Star Wars, but Star oh, Trek's your thing, huh? Is that okay? I love them both. Which is, po folks, it's possible. It is possible. It's like the Beatles and the Stones. You right. can love them both, right? But one does. One's going to get your soul. One's going to get my soul. Obviously, yeah. you know the Beatles got my soul. But when it came to the great Star Trek versus Star Wars debate, I will always love Star Trek more. Always. Okay. I'm, I, I'm open to hear why. Well, here's why. <laughs> Well, first of all, I discovered Star Trek before I discovered Star Wars. Okay. But if I am going to zero in on the one thing about Star Trek that just holds it above Star Wars more than anything else, mm -hmm. it is William Shatner. 
It is James Shatner T. himself. Shatner, James T. Kirk, his performance as Kirk. He was the ultimate hero for me growing gotcha. up. I wanted to be just like Captain Kirk. I still want to be just like Captain Kirk. Mm. I would watch Star Trek and watch certain episodes to get me pumped up before I went out on dates. Because <laughs> Shatner... Which ones? Kirk had a way with the way. Hey, hey I, and the, one of the best things about Pine taking over the role is he still has that essence to me a little yeah, bit. Yeah, he does. But Shatner, Shatner. Shatner, Shatner. And and remember the episode, it was called The Conscience of the King. Uh, I'm going to say no. Okay. I might have seen it. <laughs> in this episode, uh, Kirk is trying to seduce the daughter of a man that he thinks is a, is a killer. Okay. So he's just trying to sort of like seduce her to try and get more information out of her. Gotta love Captain Kirk. But so while he's romancing her, she says something to him like, uh, are the women in your world still women? And she, he says with this smile and this twinkle in his eye, worlds may change, galaxies disintegrate, but a woman always remains a woman. I did not see that. And when I would go out on dates with a woman I really, really liked, yeah. I would say that line, Ken worked like a charm <laughs> so you like quoted Kirk. a charm ah, no one ah. knew it yeah no one no girl picked it up they just, but but also yeah. it, listen the the original series even when mm. i was growing up in the 70s and the early 80s the effects yeah. of the special effects were definitely cheesy sure but what made it endure for me was was produced at a time when something like that had never been done before correct so the only way a show like that was going to to survive, much less endure 50 years down the line, is because of great writing, mm-hmm. great characters, and great performances. Yeah. A lot of people make fun of Shatner because he overacts and he yeah. is so traumatic. Yeah. But he's a Shakespearean trained actor, and at least for the first two seasons of that show, because the third season wasn't really very good, but the first two seasons of that show, he was right on the money. Yeah. You watch episodes of that first season, like the episode with Joan Collins. Yeah. Everybody yep. knows that yep. one. Yeah, everyone. That is a perfect episode. Mm. That's the Citizen Kane of Star Trek episodes. Well, we, uh, well, you got to meet some of my friends who are big Star Trek fans. Uh, you can sit and they, they do a show too. I'm also high school friends with a guy named Manu Interame who was uh, um, played a Borg in uh, Deep Space Oh, very Nine, cool. I believe uh, i got to get him on the show too. But listen, I do love Star Wars. I mean, I know you do. I really do. And I respect your decision to go with the Star Trek. But by, by the way, to all my younger listeners out there, maybe struggling uh, in your romantic life, perhaps if you play uh, Captain Kirk uh, to yourself in your room like Mance did years ago, you will find success. With, I'll tell with, you, uh, you got to do person it. Person of your choice. He he did it for me. <laughs> maybe, he did it for me. Maybe I should have done that years ago. I would have <laughs> come out, broken out of my shell a lot sooner. But you know what's interesting about Star Wars? And mm-hmm. when I saw Star Wars for the first time, I saw it that opening weekend in May of 1977. You were there for it. Yeah. I was there for it. I was eight, uh, eight years old, sat on my dad's lap okay. because of what the show was sold out. And I'll just never forget that image yeah. of the Star Destroyer flying over over Tatooine. It kept going. It kept going. Oh, it kept going. going. I said, damn, that thing is a lot bigger than the Starship Enterprise. I... I actually was one in my parents' arms in the back of a Volkswagen van at a drive-in theater, and they watched Star Wars A New Hope. I wish uh, – I'm, I'm certainly happy where my age is now today, but, uh, uh, though of course, uh, you've been a few couple years older. But lot, look at those arms, man. You're, we got to talk about your shape. Holy that, man, that, you man. ripped. You ripped. Like the gun show. I just had three tacos today. <laughs> um, I wish sometimes I had that experience of being able to consciously uh, know what I was watching and at the same time be blown away by – 
that first image. But you know, back then, like when you're seven or eight years old, it's not like I had a whole lot of movies under my belt that I had the perspective. Sure. I, I up to that point, most of the movies I'd seen were things like Escape from Witch Mountain. Right. Uh, I had only really just started seeing grown up movies in the last couple of years up to that point, like King Kong and Murder by Death and mm-hmm. Foul Play, uh, mm. movies like that. But when you're that young, when you're eight years old, three years is a big deal. Yeah. So when Empire came out in May of 1980, that was really the movie that did it for me because Mm -hmm. it is not just a great Star Wars movie. It's one of the best movies ever made, period. I would agree. It is just perfect. The screenplay, the darkness. The the, the first movie was a battle between good and evil, and the second movie made it personal. Mm -hmm. The fight between Luke and Vader on Bespin. Yeah. It just went on. It kept going. It kept going. It goes for a there, while, yes. When when you watch that lightsaber battle, every other lightsaber battle that comes after it just doesn't have the same mm-hmm. impact because mm-hmm. it kept going. And I remember when I was a kid watching the commercials for Empire Strikes Back right. before I saw the film. I'll never forget the image of when Vader is holding his lightsaber to Luke's face and Luke's face was all swollen little, yeah. because he had gotten the crap kicked out of him. Yeah. He was clearly out of his league. Yeah. And then watching that film at the Neshaminy Theater, the premiere two <laughs> at 345 on a Saturday. I love it. When Vader says, I am your father, 300 jaws hit the friggin' floor. Yeah. And everybody went, what? Mm. And no one, no one in their right mind could have possibly imagined. No one thought going that, that that was true. Yeah. Everyone thought he so was they didn't, lying. Oh, so they, didn't, they thought he was, yeah. They thought I, he yeah. was lying. I thought he was lying. For three years, I, I think said, James Earl Jones thought he was lying when yeah. he read the thing. Yeah, oh, because he, in the, yeah. the, the documentary, he Empire said, Empire Dreams. He's that. lying. He's lying. But lying. It's, it's a perfect movie. And... You know, the there's so many great scenes in that film. I love the AT-AT battle. Yeah. Oh, wait. Wait, you call it AT-AT too, huh? Well, that's what it is. Yeah, All-terrain right. armor transport. Right. AT-AT. Or Snowwalker? No, no. It's a battle between me and Maud Garrett, my co-host on Jedi Alliance. Okay, what does she say? She says AT-AT. And it's AT-AT. I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm having you on the show. That's when we're going to debate that on air. And She I, calls it AT-AT. She's not the only one. I have found a large number of people... I just learned this in the well, last year. what do you year. call it? I call it the AT-AT. Okay. Now, the other, an ATST is a little all-terrain scout transport from Return of the Jedi and from Empire 2, a little brief yeah, shot on Hoth. a little Hoth. brief shot if I'm walking around. On Hoth, but yeah, I grew up calling it an AT-AT. Yeah. All my friends call it an AT-AT. My generation, which I'll, you, you were in the same generation in theory, we call it AT-ATs. I'm finding a lot of other people younger, and, and Maude is a little younger, you know, yeah. her beauty and glory. She is a little younger. They call it AT-ATs. I wonder what Alicia calls it. Well, uh, she'd be like, I don't know. I don't really. Yeah, star, right. What, Just star, star battles? What is that? <laughs> um, wow, that's off. Uh, sorry. Side note. But but wait a minute. Empire Strikes Back. That's yeah. – uh, see, you called it the AT-AT when yeah. you were younger. Yeah. When I was younger, I called it the Snowwalker battle. Sure, absolutely. Imperial Walker too. The but Imperial Walkers. That scene, okay, what's great about that scene, the setup of that scene – when, it's one of my favorite sequences in, in the in all the all saga, of movies in all the saga and all, all movies. movies. Yeah, yeah, because with the first Star Wars, A New Hope, ended with the big battle on the Death Star. Right. Empire started with the big battle. Right. Led to the personal battle at the end. Yes. But 
nothing like that had ever been done. It wasn't in space. It was on the ground. It was on the ground. And the the adats, the adats, Mark Garrett, the adats were walking like elephants. I've right. never seen it. it was so imaginative. Well, and 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 you got to see it in the theater, you lucky dog. But I still have talked about this on the Far Far Away podcast with Christian and Tiffany Smith, and I'm sure I'll bring it up several times when I on Jedi Alliance on the Shmuel's No Network. But but one of my favorite moments is as a kid, and I saw Empire last because I saw Jedi first. Because again, oh, a little you younger, poor thing. a little younger. So the first one I saw was Jedi. So oh. I knew Luke was uh, his dad was who this guy was. Oh. Saw New Hope, then I saw Empire. Now it's all within a year or so after Jedi came out of the in the theaters. Uh, yep. Bootleg VHS copies got to my house or something, you know. From, <laughs> but that moment when the Imperial, uh, excuse me, when the Rebel troop is looking through his uh, little binocular thing there, and he sees the foot come down. Yep. yep. Sh- shiver chills moment. Now that scared me. When I was listening to the, I, oftentimes because mm-hmm. one another thing you have to know about me yeah. is that I'm a runner. I run marathons. I've right. run twenty marathons that in the explains. last nine years. Yeah. But a lot of times, what I listen to on my headphones, yes, I listen to the Beatles and I have a McCartney mix, but mm-hmm. I also listen to soundtrack music and the soundtrack to The Empire oh, Strikes yeah. Back. John Williams, one of his best scores, and yeah. on the soundtrack mm-hmm. you hear the music that would have been played over that scene. Yeah. But Irvin Kershner the brilliant director of The Empire Strikes yeah. Back, when the rebel forces, when you see him looking through his binoculars and he pans up and down yeah. and you see the foot come down and then it pans back and you see the five, five walkers, yeah. there's no music in that scene. You're right. There's no music. Like, you actually hear the walkers, walkers. approaching before you the see them. trembling. Then the- the, all the forces, all the rebel forces jump in, they're snow speeders. Yeah. And, and then... You see the the first ad ad open fire and then the music cues up. Oh, it's so I want to go great. watch it right now. I want to watch it right now. And the rebels got their asses kicked in that movie. The and that's good what guys was different lost. too. The good guys lost. Yeah. I mean, Hans and Carbonite. What's going to yeah. happen to Han Solo? Yeah. He should have died in Jedi. I agree with that. Should have gone out. It's the Empire Dreams thing. With my my uh, what I, lo- I love doing my this is my Lawrence Kasdan impression. I I told George Han should have died. He had nothing <laughs> going for him. Um, and Harrison agreed too, and he slept walk through Jedi. I think yeah. because of that. Yeah, it's a shame. Not a lot it's a to shame. Do. But uh, hey, chance for redemption now. He's still alive. Episode seven. Don't you think that's what's going to happen in one of these? One oh of these yeah, new he's, films? he'll go out. He's going to go out. He's going to get. He's going to get what he wanted. Yeah, which was to die in a blaze I, of glory. I think that's why he came back. Yep, yep. There's no way he just came There's, back just, yep. just for just I got to do this. I got to do this for three more. No, no, way. kill me now, mm-hmm. George. Right. Oh, you're gone, JJ. Kill me now. You kill are now. absolutely right. Yeah, I think so. Um, what other movies? Uh, Star Trek um, and um, Star Wars and the big epics and all that kind of stuff. That makes sense to me that you like that because you're you're part of a, a guy with your kind of outlook on life. Kind of a, you're an inspirational guy. Epics epics fuel that. Definitely epics fuel that. What other sure. kind of movies grabbed you early on that put you into the film critic kind of career choice? Well, just to sort of bring it back to the Beatles analogy, my parents. Oh, had we're the gonna Beatles, bring it back. And we're going to keep coming back to the Beatles, <laughs> you and me. But you know, my parents. Had the Beatles, okay? Mm-hmm. They, they, even though they were older, they were in their twenties when the mm-hmm. Beatles were were changing the face of everything, of everything. and anything. Mm-hmm. See, my Beatle period, my influence, my impact was in the late seventies and the early eighties okay. because of films like Jaws, Close Encounters, the Star Wars trilogy, gotcha. Raiders of the Lost Ark. Mm, These were yeah. movies I saw brand new. And I thought that these were the way movies should always be. Sure. And of course, they're not. No. But when you look at the filmmakers making those movies, like Lucas and Spielberg and Bob Zemeckis, yeah. uh, these were films that that made me want to do what I'm doing. 
Hmm. You know, these were the movies. I saw them when they were new. Yeah. And I remember my parents had seen Raiders of the Lost Ark before I did. Which I think reason, is one of the perfect mu- movies out there. Perfect. It's a perfect movie. It's a perfect movie. But another movie that, that really had a big impact on me and is still one of my favorite movies, if not the favorite of all time, mm-hmm. because it meant different things to me at different times of my life, is Blade Runner. Oh, really? Blade Runner okay. is my number one favorite, and here's why. I'm listening. Okay. June and then of, I'll tell you something. I'm listening. June of 1982. This mm-hmm. is what happened in June of 1982. Mm-hmm. On June 4th, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, and Poltergeist opened. Right. Okay. June 11th, E.T. opened. Yeah. Okay. Yep. June 25th, you had The Thing and Blade Runner. All in one month. That's crazy, right? That is a crazy-ass month for sci-fi. <laughs> Unbelievable. Now, I went into Blade Runner thinking, oh, Harrison Ford in a sci-fi movie. Right, right. Bring it on. Well... Little did I know mm-hmm. that I was going to go in there, botch Blade Runner, directed by Ridley Scott, walk out of there scratching my head. What the hell was that? <laughs> and I did not like the movie at all. I thought it was boring. Mm. Ten years later, already living in L.A. for about uh, almost a year, they released the director's cut, right. which had deleted the voiceover that Harrison Ford was forced to do, added in about 15 seconds of a crucial scene that explains a lot about why people thought that Harrison Ford's character, Rick Decker, was a replicant. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really does uh, force the argument. But it just opened my mind to the movie in a completely in different, a different way. way. Which and, happened. And then in 2007, they released the final cut. Right. Ridley Scott just went back and just sort of like gave it a nip-tuck, spruced up some special effects. But the amazing thing about the final cut, and, and to mm-hmm. this day, is that it looks like it could have been shot today. The movie yeah. is still ahead of its time. The style, the cerebral aspect of it, the music, Vangelis, mm-hmm. amazing score, beautiful score. And I remember when I saw it in 1982, the movie opens up, it says Los Angeles, November 2019. I was a 13-year-old kid in Philadelphia. Right. Los Angeles, November 2019. Oh, Here I am. I'm living in Los Angeles. November 2019 is five <laughs> years away. I know that feeling. I'm a big. I grew up a fan of uh, the Robotech cartoon and comic book series in the 80s. Yeah, and that starts with like in the year 1995, the world was at war. You know, and all this kind of stuff. Um, so my question, what I'm going to say to you then, from of all those versions of Blade Runner, which one should I watch first? Because I've never seen the movie. Final Cut. You know what? <laughs> I haven't seen the movie. You've never seen it. <laughs> you, the, the look on Scott's face, folks. Uh, we, I need an AED to restart S- his heart. Excuse me. Let me I pick my jaw up <laughs> off the floor here. Ten. There's a lot Ten. of things I haven't seen, and that's one of them. My friend. Yes. You are about to have your mind blown. Let's do it. Watch Blade Runner. In fact, I will bring the Blu-ray over. Okay. We will watch it together. I'm, I'm game. I want to watch that movie with you. We'll learn together. I want to watch you watching that movie is how this is my mission. This is my new purpose. Well, see, it's funny. As, as if, uh, see, you're still relatively new to the Schmoes No Schmoville, Schmoes No World. Uh, so your thing is Blade Runner. Blade Runner. Um, I'm sure Alicia has, Alicia has, well, she has about 100 movies she yeah. wants me to watch. Uh, JTE has Gremlins. And uh, my writing partner, Matt Key, uh, who's going to have a, the Marvel show uh, coming up here on the um – it hasn't been announced yet. I'll probably uh, sneak it out there, but uh, he'll be hosting the Marvel show on the Smithsonian Network. Uh, it's Ghostbusters. I have not seen a lot of movies. You never saw – but you never saw Gremlins. Never saw Gremlins. You never saw Ghostbusters? Never saw Ghostbusters. 
Ken, what is yeah. your, what, what, what's what, the problem? What, what, what's going on here? What's the problem? It just, as a kid, as the story goes, and people have heard it now, but here's your turn to digest yes, this. Yes, let's hear this. Um, as a kid, grown, grown up in a very small town in a conservative family, and my mom didn't let me watch a lot of R-rated movies or movies with too much smooching or too much war or too much this or that. Could watch Star Wars, a lot of that stuff. There's some movies you'd be surprised at saw um I, because of her i've seen when harry met sally 50 plus times oh you poor thing um oh that's why i grew to love that movie pretty woman she loved that she I watched that movie with me what about close encounters i have seen close encounters okay okay we're good we're cool we're, we're, we're good so we're good so, but again so there's some things i have seen yeah um but a lot of them slipped through the cracks and haven't corrected it because they just weren't in my life so i don't know what i'm missing by not watching top gun i gotta tell you ken I really hope and pray someday soon, yeah. before I get the chance to bring the Blu-ray over, that yeah. they because they do show Blade Runner from time to time on the big screen because right. that's really what place you have to see that movie. Mm. Sometimes you know the Arc Light in Hollywood they have special, special screens, screens yeah. and and that's a movie where whenever it is playing on the big screen. I will drop what I am doing and see it. Okay. If I have plans, if I have things I have to do, if I have a work thing I have to do, I will figure out a way. To make, make Blade out. Runner happen on the big screen, which I get, I get. So I'll tell you what: if, if it's if it's a, if it's playing anywhere before the Blu-ray, uh, we're, we're we'll find find a way to we're go. We're there, um, yes, yeah. But uh, I, I'm so curious now. To, and and what what did the emotional tones change for you? I know you may have grown up and got more matured and blah blah blah. As a kid, I get the it's Indiana. What's uh, going on? It's a serious sci-fi. What changed? What, what changed what, is yeah. when I started reviewing movies in 1999. Gotcha. Because what happened was over the years after that, as I was reviewing new films, mm-hmm. I went back to movies that I had seen and loved even many, many times, like a movie like Back to the Future, which I could yeah. recite from word for word. Sure. And I found that the experience I gained as a reviewer, as a critic, uh, gave me a whole new perspective and appreciation for movies mm-hmm. that I already loved and also made me second guess and changed my mind on movies that I thought that I liked. But, for example, Back to the Future. I remember I saw that movie on July 2nd, 1985, the day it opened. Yeah. That's the day that it opened. I remember my mom and aunt came home that night in my hometown and saw it. Okay. Oh, did you see that? Did you see I it? didn't see it, but they came home telling my my dad stayed home to watch me and my sister. My mom's like, ah, that's oh. it. DeLorean. Yeah. It's yeah. so great. And I, what I remember about that, mm-hmm. remember I, the reason I remember the day mm-hmm. is because I, you know we were talking about how I was a little shy. Yeah. Okay, well, I was on a double date. A friend of mine, my friend Barry and Lynn, fixed me up with Joanne. And we... They picked me up, and I'm sitting in the back with Joanne, and she's trying to talk to me, and I'm giving her one-word answers. I'm really shy. I'm really nervous, and and I can just tell this is not going well. I'm sweating. I got the underarm sweat. It's just yeah. awful. It's a disaster. What happened, Ken, yeah. was I saw Back to the Future. Yeah. Loved the hell out of that sure. movie. Like, sure. great Scott. That's heavy. Yeah. And we went out for ice cream after the film. And then I was this guy. I was like, "Oh my god, that was great!" And like everything at the the, 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 the breakfast table is 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 playing out at the end of the movie. When this baby hits eighty eight miles per hour, you're gonna see some serious stuff. You yeah. know, he doesn't say stuff. I don't yeah. know if I could swear well, on the podcast. You can swear on this. My mom some, won't like it, but 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 just like I like was so excited about the movie yeah, yeah. that Joanne was just looking at me with these love eyes. Really? Like she fell in love with me. Who's this guy with this passion? But she. Uh, by then, I just didn't care. You didn't I just care. Wasn't interested you were. <laughs> but Back to the Future is yeah. a movie that in perspective I realize is a perfect film it's one of the ones I'd say are too it's and if I was ever 
going to teach a screen writing mm-hmm. class, if I was mm-hmm. ever going to use a movie as a perfect example, that's the movie I would use. You know, yeah. A lot of people use like Casablanca, All About Eve. Well, so yeah, when I say Raiders and Back to the Future, yeah, it's a modern 80, 80s movie. But look, formula, screenwriting-wise, they've got all the things you need in the script. And some people might argue, well, that's just kind of a formula. You know, yeah. you get your ticking time bomb and your this and your goals and everything. But to me, it's not just about that. It's, it, it, you know, it, it's what you put into what is coming and and you might know that Harrison Ford as, as Indiana Jones is going to win that battle you right. didn't you wouldn't assume he was going to die or something but it's how you execute it and the fun and the experience of those two movies Certainly. the pacing i mean Back to the Future seems like a 10 minute movie to me because you start and you're in and and it's over and, and you're over. you're wrapped up in it. So versus so those movies versus some of the classics what's what's the difference between how do you dif- differentiate it? Well like for 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 a classic when I think of of other classics that I've discovered later mm-hmm. like I didn't see Citizen Kane until until much later right. in my life because it was an older film and you know I grew up in this diet of like the, the Hollywood blockbusters that defined the the seventies yeah, and eighties, the whole you. new Hollywood thing that turned into the blockbusters that people argue actually destroyed Hollywood movies, at least for the the new generation that emerged in the late sixties yeah. and seventies. But uh, movies like uh, a movie that I love now, or I've I've loved for a while, mm-hmm. but certainly not when I was a kid, is Apocalypse Now. Sure. I mean, that's in my top five. I've seen that, I've that, seen that one. Absolutely in my top five. A movie like The Hustler with Paul Newman, mm, okay. that's in my that's in my top ten. Mm. Uh, a movie like the original Planet of the Apes. Yeah. Which is a and yeah. by that by extension, because they both came out the same year, two thousand one a Space Odyssey. I mm. it, it took me twenty years to wrap my head around the scope of what was going on in two thousand one a Space Odyssey, and that happened because as a reviewer, I I saw I watched movies differently. Gotcha. I looked deeper into them. Now, if I'm watching Dumb and Dumber, no, I'm not sure. going to look that deep into it. Right. But the first movie I ever reviewed was a movie that people just didn't understand. Mm-hmm. Was Eyes Wide Shut. Oh yeah. So I still don't understand it. So explain it. <laughs> I'm not so sure I do either. Well, yeah. well what I think is going on in Eyes Wide Shut, in a nutshell, is that that it's a dream state. I mean, mm. it's it's adapted from a a short story from back in the twenties called the uh, Dream Story, Tram Novel. Right. Okay. And uh, you know, Tom Cruise is going off into the night, having all these weird escapades, whatever, or almost escapades. Mm. Never quite crosses the line to ruin his marriage, uh, but it was like he was being tested by some something else. But like I felt like that was a Spiel- okay. a, a, a Kubrick movie that. He hadn't done a movie in 12 years since Full Metal Jacket. Right. And then three months before Eyes Wide Shut Open, Kubrick died. Yep. And then Eyes Wide Shut Open. So people are like, what? what? But I spent the whole weekend, the weekend it came out, writing up this review. And from that point on, I was like, I think I found my calling. Hmm. And I started seeing movies just so I could review them. And I, and, and, uh, you know, movies like, like The Time, uh, uh, The Insider, and yeah. American Beauty, oh, and Fight Club, yeah. Three Kings, yep. The Matrix. 1999 was a good year for was movies. A great year High for Fidelity, uh, Magnolia, all around that time. Magnolia. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, let's see what the, else is there. A lot of movies that I list in my top 20 are from that year, it seems. Being John Malkovich. Malkovich, Malkovich, Malkovich. Malkovich. It's in my head! <laughs> <laughs> Let me talk, ask you about the role of a film critic and you as a reviewer. And, you know, look, if my dad's listening, he's like, I don't listen to film critics. I just see Transformers 4. Um, but it's, it's, it is an art form in itself, too. And, and Absolutely. I've always said they're professional critics slash appreciators so you know what to look for what constitutes a good movie other people might not be trained to it's a little of that yeah. and of course it does come down to personal taste sure you have to embrace your taste 
Ultimately, it's all just an opinion. Mm-hmm. I've been asked a couple times over the years, if if you you know you're just a reviewer, mm-hmm. are, are are do you think of yourself as an artist? Mm-hmm. And I said, well, what do artists do when they paint? When they write a song, mm-hmm. it's a form of expression. Yeah. What is a review? A review is a form of expression. Yeah. So just by logic, connecting the two, that makes a review art in its own way. I agree. Now, I, granted, what making a movie and writing a review are two completely different things. Yeah. But if you can, if you have an opinion and you can articulate it, whether it's mm. an on-camera review or a long-form review, then you've done your job. Mm. The bottom line is for critics is to embrace your taste, to state your opinion. And mm. to to stand by it, stand by your right. opinion, because like when a movie like Transformers opens, sure, Transformers Four, which was awful, like seventeen percent was the number on Rotten Tomatoes, the yeah. uh, critic website. So I hated that movie, yeah, and a lot of other people I know hated that movie too. <laughs> so for other critics to sort of stand in solidarity that they hate a movie yeah. or that they love a movie, like Boyhood or right. Edge of Tomorrow or Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Yeah, it feels good when you see a movie and you write your review or you come up with your review and mm. you find out that everyone else felt – most people felt the same right. way. But then there are times when you're in the minority. You stand alone. You stand alone. What's you, one movie you've had to stand really really alone and proud for? Uh, well, there are a couple. Mm. Um, but the one that comes to mind is Spider-Man 3. I, like that I think movie. you mentioned that on Schmoes, at least off there you did, or on yeah. there. Yeah, okay. Someone, someone, and I, yeah. I got called the task right away. Yeah, about right it. away. But Spider Man 3, I didn't think it was as good as Spider Man 2. Spider Man 2 is fantastic. Okay. But uh, I do think it has its merits. Right. And I stood by those merits. But uh, to this day, people call yeah. me the task on it. And that's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, the movie, this movie that just came out earlier this year, Under the Skin. With Scarlett Johansson, okay, right? I, I did not it. understand that movie at all okay. when it came out, and I actually passed on doing a review for it because I felt like I don't think that's the kind of movie I could review after seeing it just once. Hmm. And that movie felt very Kubrickian in its yeah, own way. Yeah, that's what I heard. Yeah, yeah, and I needed to difference. see it again. And I'm like, okay, I, I get. I'm still not crazy about it, but I get what's going on. Hmm. I admired the film more than I liked it. But can I think? Hmm. I think my legacy. Yeah. Of a movie that I, I really loved. Planted your flag. That everyone else hated. Yeah. My legacy is the love guru. <laughs> I laughed my ass off at the love guru. Mike Myers, who I'm a big fan of Mike Myers. I, I couldn't get past the trailer, buddy. I saw that movie on June 6th, 2008. Yeah. And I confess that I was a little... Uh, influenced by okay. some substance at okay. the time that I saw it, <laughs> went in, saw the movie at the Crest Theater on uh-huh. uh, in, uh, in Westwood, and I laughed my butt off. Hey, it happened. It happens, but but it's amazing that that to this day, uh, some of my friends and coworkers and colleagues and other critics are like, if I say uh, something about a film, they'll be like, yeah, but you love the Love Guru, right? They always hold that above you. They hold it against me. They hold it against you, man. But, but in film criticism. You were a gang of one. Yeah, yeah. You were a gang of one. Okay. You have to remember that. Yeah. You have to remember that. Get it, man. You can't just review a movie and expect to be in, in unison with other critics all the time. Right. One of my favorite comedies of all time is Dirty Work with Norm MacDonald, which is a horrible movie. That is a horrible movie. It's a horrible movie. <laughs> There's something about that movie that I die laughing from start to finish. Well, like a movie like The Color of Money with Tom Cruise right. and uh, Paul Newman right. came out in 1986, directed by Martin Scorsese. Uh, 
as a, and in the body of work of Scorsese's films, that's one of one of his underrated movies. Okay. Not a great film, but there's a, has a lot of merits. The fact that Tom mm. Cruise held his own yeah. with Paul Newman alone yeah. is worth the price of admission. I, I'm, a, I'm a Cruise guy. I'm, I'm I, a Cruise guy. I can, I can get behind Tom. Uh, Tom Cruise, say what no. you want about the guy. He's got he's had some issues personally. Whatever. Sure. He he makes great movies. He's a great actor. Yeah. And Edge of Tomorrow. Is one of his best movies. I haven't seen it yet. I'm, I want to see it because uh, Collateral is one of my favorite movies. Great I movie. mentioned Magnolia. I love his turn in Magnolia. Uh, and there's a lot of other things I think he does really well. He is one of the last movie stars. Yes, he is. That came about naturally, as best you can say. Uh, not risky f- business. Come on, yeah, Top Gun. Not forced on us by studios who are like, this is the next guy or something like that. But Color Money is a movie that I've grown to love more over the years, especially after mm-hmm. I discovered The Hustler, which was the yeah. first movie with yeah, Jay right. Felsen. And that, and that was, it was a de facto sequel, right? Is that is it a continuation of the yeah, story a little bit? Yeah, it was a continuation without, but it, absolutely a standalone movie. Right, right. Did but, not need but, to see right. The Hustler at all. Gotcha. But The Hustler is a great film. Right. Um, but the thing about The Color Money was when I was watching Life Itself, the brand new documentary about the life and times of Roger Ebert. I haven't seen it yet, but I heard great a, things. There's a clip in the film of Ebert and Siskel going back and forth about the color money where Ebert is saying, I hated this movie. Uh, Scorsese should not, not be ashamed of itself, but you know, this is your, I'm going to let you go on this one. Right. I'm sitting there watching a movie and I went with Alicia Malone. We both mm-hmm. watched it and I looked at her and I just said, I like this movie. Right. So for, for, but hey, that, yeah. that's going to happen. That's going to happen. And the thing is that even after 15 years of reviewing movies, when I'm, when I find myself in the minority of a film, mm-hmm. I, I definitely, Doubt myself and question myself. Look, Guardians of the Galaxy, big yeah, hit. That's right. Critics loved it. Everyone loved it. I've heard people say it's the best movie yet from Marvel Studios. Yeah. I thought it was fun. I thought it was fine. That's right. You're the only one I've heard. It's been. Eh. It went right through me. Yeah. It went right through me. I I loved it, but I would not say it was a particularly creative movie in terms of story. It just it hit all the points, but I had fun with it. I had fun with it while fun I was it. watching it. But I, it was I didn't over. Enjoy it. Probably enjoyed it more than you, but 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 when I got to my car, I yeah. forgot all about it. And Christian Harloff, yeah. I t- I emailed him yeah. after I knew he saw it because I was like, "Dude, what did you think?" Yeah, and he told me, and I'm like, "Okay, well, fine. I'm in a minority on this movie." Although I have to say, my good friend Alicia Malone yeah. felt the same way I did about it. So I, I was she, like, "Thank God!" Like a good piece of candy, you get, yes. it tasted good, and now the experience is done. I call it a hot foot Sunday. It was delicious, but it went right through me. <laughs> <laughs> or, or for me, that's tacos. Um, so yeah, yeah. Uh, what what do you? What are couple, when you're re- reviewing a movie that isn't the Love Guru or Guardians or something for the mass, uh, you know, pop culture masses? Yeah. Um, what do you look for that makes it a good movie? Two, 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 three points. Can you wrap it up that quick? I don't Any, know. Anything that can really that mm-hmm. that that stirs an emotion within me. Anything okay. that where I. It could be anything. It could be the dialogue. It could be the score. It could be the cinematography. Mm. Absolutely, it could be the performances. It could be the story. It just depends on what kind of movie it is. Mm-hmm. Like Edge of Tomorrow was a movie that I did not expect to like at all. I mean, I know that's a more commercial film uh, as an example, but uh, I did not expect to like that movie at all. Mm. Uh, it just looked like Groundhog Day with aliens, which is right. what it is. But the way it was shot, the way there were so many great surprises about that film, mm. particularly the level of humor in the movie. It did mm. not take itself seriously the entire way through. There mm. were moments where you're just like, okay, let's have a little fun with this. I'm intrigued. But also, Tom Cruise, who has done so many different roles in his career, does something in this movie he's never done before. Mm. He plays a coward, a yellow, 
scaredy cat coward. Interesting. So when you do see the film and you see the evolution of his character, yeah. where he goes from being a coward to being a hero, he earns it. And it's such mm. a great arc. So that's what I picked up on yeah. was the evolution of his character. Then a movie like Boyhood. Have you heard about Boyhood? Uh, I've heard about it. I haven't seen it yet. Okay, Boyhood was written and directed by Richard Linklater, who did the Before Midnight, Before Sunset, Sunset yeah. did Days to Confuse, and School of Rock. And Ethan, I've, I've always kind of liked Ethan Hawke, too. I, Ethan Hawke. I, I think he's an underrated guy. But Well, this movie was shot over the course of 12 years using the same actors. Which is crazy. He reconvened his crew and his cast every year for 12 years. And watching the little boy in boyhood grow up throughout the course of the movie, mm. it's a startling reminder of the relentless passage of time. <laughs> and you're sitting there watching the movie, and the little kid in the film, you see him grow up a little bit. Right. Like maybe his hair looks a little different. But then there's this one scene where his, his hair is really short, and he's also really tall. And you're just like, whoa. Who is yeah. It is. It's like a startling. It's a, it's better than any kind of special effect you ever right. could have done. And it's such a a big slice of life movie. And I realized that I was watching something. I was having an experience that mm. I've never had before, and will never have again. Because even mm. if I watch Boyhood again, I've already seen it. Yeah. You know that, ex- yeah, that experience that first... you have watching this movie, watching this kid grow up, the same actor throughout the course of the film. Yeah. And that had never been done, ever. Amazing to pull off. Amazing. And he did pull off. And I think that the movie has a real shot at the Oscars. You think so? For Best Picture and Best Director because of that. Now, granted, it's only August. Right. We still have – We haven't hit the season. season. We have not hit the season yet. Yeah. And last year, movies like Gravity and Dallas Buyers Club and 12 Years a Slave, they all opened after September. So who knows? Because that's what they do because it's all a big work. It's all a big business. It's a, you know, the summer <laughs> movies are about the blockbusters. Fall movies are about the awards. It's crazy to me now we're in this era where release dates are like the thing now. This wasn't the case like two, three years ago. Yep. Am I wrong? Or is it just because I now have to report on it for the Schmoes News? It's insane that we know what's going to come out on a 2019. That's crazy to Marvel, me. Marvel Studios planted their flag on movie dates for the next five freaking years. So like in 2019, when we're celebrating Blade Runner. <laughs> when we're in that when time. When we're in that period of time, <laughs> uh, you're going to see like Captain America 6. <laughs> you know? It's just it's, – I mean and I get it from the business standpoint. We've got that point now. It is this machine you have to get into. But as a kid growing up or even when I was in film school in the mid-90s when I wanted, was breaking into screenwriting and all that stuff, you never – you had your summer blockbusters, your, your award seasons, your junk pile season, February, January, February, March. But now that it's like the position in the moving of uh, Batman versus Superman up to March. Yeah. What do you uh, think of that? What do you think of that? I think it's, it is it is an industry changer. Right. I think it absolutely is. Now it's we're, we're a summer blockbuster. Now it's just going to be a year-round thing. Well, it, what really changed the mold yeah. happened this year yeah. with Captain America, the Winter Soldier. Early. That movie opened on April 2nd. Yes. It opened April 2nd. So that's only seven days later than when this proposed bat date, exactly. Batman date. Exactly. So because traditionally for the last, uh, let's say going back to 1996, yeah. the summer used to start on Memorial Weekend. Yes. Summer movies, I should say. Yes. Then movies. in 1996, Twister opened the first weekend of May. And yeah. then all the studios started to put their movies out the first week in May. The Mummy opened the first week in May. Right. Spider-Man opened the first week in May. Uh, all these Marvel films, like Avengers, I mean, yeah. they're all open the first week in May. You're, you're a smart well, man when it comes to movies. You I, know a lot of stuff, Scott. I feel like I know my stuff. <laughs> I paid my dues a little bit. But when 
Captain America, the Winter Soldier, opened on April 2nd, mm-hmm. and it opened with $95 million. Yes. $95 million right. for April. And it, it became one of the highest grossing movies of the year. Yeah. $700 million worldwide. And that you think the studios looked at each other and went – Absolutely. They all looked at each other and went, whoa. Yeah. They all looked at each other and went, whoa. We got to get these things out there earlier. Screw May. Yeah. Start April. Oh. Start April. Captain America 2 yeah. jumped the gun on Amazing Spider-Man 2. First yep. of all, it was a better movie than Amazing sure, Spider-Man but, 2. But it became more about, no, Captain America, great movie. It's all doing really well. Oh, Spider-Man 2 is opening. Mm-hmm. Ah, it's okay. Had a big weekend. It dropped off. Yeah. It's it, And now Batman v Superman pushed yeah. it back just a week earlier. And now, yeah, because at that time, Cap, Cap 2 is kind of the only option you know, for mm-hmm. big. So, yeah, and you get that $95 million opening. And that's another – the openings are the big things now too. So release dates and opening weekend numbers. And now you get to you get you you get your only choice out to the fans, and you re, you know maybe it makes the same amount of money that an other, other new movie makes later on, yeah. but you get the press too of we opened with ninety five million. Well, another thing that happened was a couple of years ago, Fast Five. Yeah, that opened the last week of April. Oh, I know, I was there. Yeah, uh. so so that was okay. Well, well, last week of April is a little mm. bit earlier than the beginning of May. Right, but then but when Marvel yeah, Disney. That's well, a big time now. That was it's a big yeah. time. Everything's going to change, and and the fact that Guardians of the Galaxy in August made you know ninety three mm-hmm. ninety four million dollars, biggest August opening ever, mm. beating two thousand seven's The Bourne Ultimatum, which mm. opened with sixty nine million. That's crazy. So it didn't just beat it, it by a few it. million; it clobbered Matt Damon. You know, Bourne was dead. Yeah. Forget it. <laughs> It's amazing. Yeah, business. again, I think yeah, the industry is it is it is a business, and yes. people sometimes forget that art is business, folks. If you're those young film students out there working on your artistic script, also have a business plan for it. I have a question for you. Yeah, I'm listening, and I got I got to ask this question. I'm yeah. wanting to know this question since yeah. I first met you. Yeah, where did the pit boss come from? The name, the pit boss? No, this this the, the man, uh, the myth, <laughs> the legend. Where did the pit well, boss come from? We'll start with the name. The name itself came from Christian Harloff, who okay. loves to. Uh, he's a master at branding and he doesn't intentionally go out to uh, brand you as something things just pop up things just so one day um, when the show started I was off I have, a, I have a day job and I was off on Thursdays so I would show up like I am now in a t-shirt and I produce a show like that well then my, my schedule switch actually got promoted and, and uh, went back to full time suit and tie my days changed um, so now I came straight from work to the podcast with my suit and tie on. Okay. So just everyone else is in a t-shirt, those schlubby schmoes with their hats and their t-shirts, and here I am Scruff, in a suit. Right, so it yeah. just looked, and I start, I grew a beard out again, and I, then uh, because I can't face the fact that I'm, um, I am bald, I just grew my hair long, so I was looking it back like Tywin Lannister from Game of Thrones. Um, <laughs> And then it just came out uh, because of my day job and some of the stuff I've done on my j- day job, whether it be you know uh, fighting someone with an, an, in a knife fight and winning and all that kind of stuff. Um, there's just this. Uh, uh, I'm not an intimidating person at my core. I'm peeling back the layers here in the pit boss, but I can come off as uh, and I have a bit of a temper at times. So sometimes an anger will come out and my my strong Russian jaw. It all just kind of fit together and it's become this thing. Well, coming from me, <laughs> I gotta tell you. I, first of all, just to back up a sec, I yeah. mean, I've known only year for three years we met at comic-con yeah you know we're both covering those press lines this was uh 2011 we became instant friends mm-hmm. instant buddies total connected on on obviously on the movie level yeah. but we just really got each other as people too and she's just a warm lovely delightful friend and 
when I will always be grateful to her for introducing me to you guys <laughs> because I just remember I'm so glad you did. When I left that day, I had to go straight from from the Schmoes mm -hmm. to to an Emmy nominee party. Yeah. Because as a, uh, for daytime Emmys, Access Hollywood was nominated and for for mm -hmm. a daytime Emmy, so all the producers went to uh, this this pre-party and and I went home I changed real fast out of my uh, mm -hmm. I think I was wearing a Star Wars yeah. t-shirt and I changed I put on a the jacket tie and, and and I'm standing there at this party talking to obviously a lot of people I know thinking I I wish I was back with the schmoes <laughs> I want to be back with the schmoes like now we we've, we've gotten that a lot yeah, it means a lot to us, and and but but that doesn't mean everyone molds into it as as well as you did. You were one of the ones we walked away after that show. We're like, man, that guy. It wasn't just that he had a good appearance; it was like he really fit into what we do here. I, I, honestly, um, just the other yeah. day when when the yeah. with the comics party, yeah, when I when I hooked up with you guys, and you know, I was coming home from a screening, I was really really tired, yeah. and I had to go to New York for the next day because right. I was doing the Today Show. <laughs> Jet set are you? And uh, it's exhausting, but it's fun. Yeah, but so I saw I'll just say hi, you know, and then I'll but I just just have fun, yeah. just just hang out, talk with you. Yeah. Yeah, it worked, really and that's great. why I think we got a little farther uh, working with Maria Menounos and, and and Kevin because she had the same experience. They're great. Yeah, and they're I mean, great people. Ke and Kevin, yeah. you talk about you think I have energy. Oh, Kevin, yeah. Kevin makes me look like a manic depressive. <laughs> Which is, I mean, he is unbelievable. That guy with your <laughs> goodwill and that. Um, I want to talk a, a little bit about life. Then we're going to get into what we really came here to talk yes. about, which is the Beatles. I can't wait. Um, you mentioned growing up. Did you have a little problem with women? Oh, well, sure. Okay. Oh, yeah. I find that shocking because it, it's impossible. Not only you're a good fit man, good looking man, uh, and this and that, but you're married now. Yes. Um, how long have you been married? I've been married for November 28th will be five years. Outstanding. I met my wife when I was 38. Oh, that's how I hold on? How old yeah, it took me okay. a long time. Now, I dated a lot. I, I dated not, a lot yeah. in L.A., I've had girlfriends. Dating in L.A., let me tell you. Hey, yeah. hey, hey. Oh, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. We could, that's a whole other show, my yeah. friend. But I've dated – yeah, I've had some six-monthers here and there. Yeah. But if you would have told me when I moved out here to, to Los Angeles when I was 22 years old yeah. that I would be – I would be not told I was 38 years old would I meet the woman I would eventually mm -hmm. marry, never would have believed it. Ne I never imagined it would take that long. I, Dating I, in L.A. Yeah, is, a, is a – it's a – Yeah. Uh, it's a horrible experience. A, I, I moved out here when I was 22 as well. That's yeah. a, it's a parallel there. So um, who knows? Uh, maybe this is the year. Uh, the things I'm, but I, I, it, that I can't even really talk about. I'm in a complicated situation myself with a, with a woman I love, but um, it's just not life ain't easy. Um, uh, and I've you. had some long term relationships with a good four year relationship. It's just it's something my listeners know I can't unlock. A lot of it has to do with myself. I'm I'm Steve Martin from Shop Girl. I <laughs> uh, really am. I'm I'm content to watch them almost push them into the arms of Jason Schwartzman at the end um so that's my own issue but i've so i love him and my friend dan farron dan if you're listening on uh, riding into work uh talented writer and storyteller that you are he always loves when i get into this conversation with my friends who are married i i am so in awe of those who find the right person and just jump in i'm sure you never hesitate any point in your life coming to know you but uh uh i i i'm so obsessed with the idea of how does it work well <laughs> i'm it, so obsessed with it here's the thing it works when you know that it's working, you feel it right away. Really? And that I, thing you hear is real? It, it really is. I mean, I had dated a lot mm -hmm. and I've had like a the, the, the typical sort of cliched experiences yeah. where, you know, the dates just go really, really bad and I just started feeling sorry for myself. And I got fixed up with Andrew. We got fixed mm -hmm. up and we hit it off immediately. Wow. And she's just gotta 
First of all, she's a knockout. Oh, she's gorgeous. Good God. She's gorgeous. I told you, I met her briefly, probably had to be 2003 or four at the latest at a script reading for my friend Peter Sprites. Uh, and I met her in pa- It was like, it's the third. It was, oh, it's Andrea. She was in the, And I remember thinking, who? Wow. Who was that one? She looks like Mary Jane. She does. She looks like Mary Jane. So when she walked the into the party with you at Menounos' house, I couldn't place it until you left. And I was talking with Josh McCuga and I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. That's the the one from the. So, yeah, you, you scored well, my friend. Scored. But you deserve it. You deserve she, it. I'm telling you, Ken. We, we 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 were we were we met at the Chai Brasserie on uh, San Alden and Robertson in West Hollywood. Right. And I used to live just a few blocks from there. So so as I, I drove home from work and I parked at home and I just walked to the the restaurant. I was running a little late and I was walking really fast. And I walking past this woman who's long red hair, black shirt, jeans. Just looked mm. fantastic in those yeah. jeans. And I just like gave her you know, like wow she's hot. <laughs> Kept going. Walked into the restaurant. Looking around. Just waiting at the bar. Turn around. The woman I was just checking out walks in the door, <laughs> says, Are you Scott? I looked up and said, Thank you, God. But it was one of those magical moments. Yeah, we were there yeah. for more than three hours. Awesome. At the end of the night, I'm like, All right, when am I seeing you again? None of this, okay, I'll call you. We'll be in touch. Right. When, are, when are you free? What are you doing next weekend? I got to see you again. Mm-hmm. And we, I always, well, I was actually afraid mm-hmm. that. Because I did meet her so late in life that, and mm-hmm. I've been living alone for right. Yeah. Now, okay. Now you're getting to where I'm familiar with. Yes. Okay. All right. So I've been living alone since '91. I never yeah. had a roommate when I was in LA. Mm. You get set in your ways. Yeah. Okay. And the older you get, I, I mean, I just felt like, am I even dateable at this point? Right. But she went through very similar. What what helped us both was that we both lived very similar lives separately. She had dated mm. a lot. Never met the guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, always lived alone. So when we when we got together, we brought the same concerns to the table. Just like, uh, gotcha. yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not like anal retentive or anything, mm-hmm. like, but I'm a little obsessive compulsive about how I have my my, my <laughs> man cave all set up with my action figures and my my Beatles dolls. Oh, you're, talking, my, you're speaking my language. You know yes. what I mean? Like I'm yes. really really particular about that stuff. Yeah. But uh, but we because we both had those concerns, it made it easy for us when we did mm. get together, and mm. we're both very open with our feelings we communicate really great mm-hmm. and we're both unconditionally supportive of each other right. i gotta tell you i mean without her support i'm nothing yeah. i'm really not i mean yeah. she has been so unconditionally supportive of me with my career and you know i had a, a health thing that i had to deal with back in february i had a bad eye problem that kept me mm. uh, basically shut down my life for a month and she nurtured me back to health mm. but i lucked out I lucked out. Well, again, you say you use that lightning striking and lucked out. I'm sure, again, you probably create some of your own goodwill. Not saying that in a mystical sense, but just with your 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 positive approach to life and your goals and everything, you just probably open to a lot of these things that other people aren't. I I, I definitely try to say yes to a lot of things. Right. I I just um I I just know that uh, I just know that um you know you you. What am, I, what am I trying to say? I just know a lot of people, myself included, who are just going to sit in a room alone, miserable. Uh, I've changed. Like uh, five years ago, things started to change for me. I'm now just too busy to be in my room alone, miserable. But I am in my room alone going, I don't think I miss anyone in my bed because I like sleeping alone. I'm worried about that, my friend. That that was something that, you know, the, mm-hmm. the answer to that was 
get a king size bed. Mm-hmm. That that definitely helped us out. But listen, I mean, I <laughs> I snore a little bit, and she she too. tosses and turns. So, do I sleep better when she like goes out for a girls' weekend? Hell yeah, I do. Okay, I could, but that's the honesty I want from the married men too. And here's here's I something else working not perfect. About. I get it. Here's here's another bit of honesty. Yeah. So so if there's a night where like she's tossing and turning, or there's a night where I'm like I can't get comfortable, and I I start thinking about things like I right. get anxious about something and you know like last night I was worried about taping the first profiles because right. I As you should wanted be, yeah. to make sure that and your first appearance well. on the Napsock files which is well, hello. pretty pretty big this was a <laughs> big day this was a big day so so I, I went upstairs and I slept on the couch because I, I knew I was going to toss and turn and that right. then I would keep her up right so but we we give each other sp- the great thing about Andrea uh, among other things is is we we, we love being together Mm-hmm. We we make time to be together because mm-hmm. we both have different schedules and we're like, okay, how's your week looking? What screenings do you have? Do you have anything after work? So we're like, okay, the, so these are the nights we know we're going to be together. Gotcha. Same thing with the weekends, but we also give each other space. And you don't stress about it. Do not stress about it. We don't stress about it. I mean, she knows that I love to run. She knows that mm-hmm. usually if I'm not working on a Saturday morning, she knows I like to go to beach and run 10 miles and then mm-hmm. sit sit uh, and have a cocktail and maybe right. write a review while I'm at the beach. She, you know. See, this is, I think I need to go uh, take both of you to dinner and interview you in detail off air about a successful relationship. That's what maybe I need to uh, but do. But is, is it perfect? No. No, and I'm not, and I never, I'm and not the type that expects is. it to be. And nothing yeah. ever is. I just, I mean, I, I'm like you. I'm now at 38, coming on 39 real quick, where now I'm like, eh, yeah, I've had roommates most of my time here in L.A., but it's like, yeah, this is all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, listen, I, I – And I worry about that. I felt like there was a period of time where I was like, I guess this is it. I'm on my own. I'm there. Uh, I, yeah. I, but, but it just – Everything happened at the right time and with mm. the right person. Because what I'm worried about is not that I'm I'm there depressed. I'm saying I'm there. This is how it's going to be. And going, yeah, that seems like a good decision. <laughs> see, see, okay, so I've known you now for what, maybe like a few weeks, a month yeah, or so? A couple months now. And, and what I see mm-hmm. in you yeah. is someone on who had the balls yeah. to be proactive with an opportunity, with creating an identity – Sure. But work-wise, you know, the yeah. big boss, yeah. that, that, that is like, and again, you're talking to someone who sees a ton of movies, who's right. been working in this business for 23 years, and mm. you saw my reaction when I saw you in action. Yeah. I didn't believe it at first. It was so I supportive. I couldn't <laughs> believe it. And and I I, uh, I remember, like, after I left and I, I texted Alicia and I was like, hey, that was really, really great. And I, I just, like, said – I said again, ah, Pit Boss is a rock star. <laughs> and and I was just like – when we were putting together profiles, I said, I said we got to get we gotta get Ken involved. Yeah. And she was like, great. Let's do it. So, so yeah. no, you got a fan. Uh, and, you know? and, 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 and I have you. And one of the reasons I'm a big fan of you is I'm looking on your cell phone cover over there is this little band, these cheeky mop tops from Look Liverpool. Look at those guys. Um, the Beatles, man. The Beatles. I want to talk about the Beatles with a Beatle fan. The I, Beatles. I, and I have some Beatle fans in my life. Uh, my friend Alex Hernandez is a uh, LAPD police officer and uh, one of the biggest Beatle fans I've ever. We we've uh, we we were supposed to go to McCartney. He had invited me to go to McCartney oh. last night months ago, and it just didn't work out. But we've seen like this awesome Beatle cover band. We went up for his birthday last year up in the Starlight Bowl above Burbank. Yep. And they were so. I've seen some cover bands. They were so good from where we were sitting. You could squint your eyes and believe it. Wow. And we had so much fun just celebrating the Beatles. But but um, 
the Beatles, for those who know me growing up, man, if they knew me in high school, that's all I was. I grew my hair during to match different phases other than the mop you top. You were John Lennon, 1969. We talked about it, 69, yep. hair, beard, McCartney in a spring of 70 during the breakup and the McCartney album. Yep. Uh, Harrison at one point, All, all things, things Must, must pass. pass. I was there, man. I love it. When did you first discover the Beatles? Well, I discovered Wings before I discovered that's the Beatles. Awesome. That This is a, an a amazing thing. So, so you're a big Denny Lane, Lane fan. Denny Lane, it. come that's on! Right. Yeah. I, you know, in Denny Lane, there's a barber showing photographs. <laughs> <laughs> but I was, let's see, I was six years old, and uh, you know, my dad mm. even back then was giving me like a few, you know, some change so I could have an allowance. Sure. And I went with my brother to Sound Odyssey, which was this music store in Northeast Philadelphia, and he was, let's see, I think he bought uh, Yes Tales from Topographic Oceans, and I bought Band on the Run. Nice. Because the cover of that album is very Sgt. Pepper-esque, by the way. It's a great story behind it, too. The the story, the making of Band on the Run is another podcast. Yeah, we talked about that, yeah. But those songs, to me, were new. I heard Jet new. I heard Band on the Mm -hmm. Run new. Mm -hmm. Uh, High, High, High was new. Mm -hmm. Listen to what the man said. So these were songs that I liked new. Same way that I got into Star Wars, it was new. new. But then, in the late 70s, Around the time of London Town, when I heard with a little luck, there was the touring Broadway show Beatlemania. Yeah, and Beatlemania came to the United States, came to Philadelphia, came to the U.S., uh, came to Philadelphia, and there was a commercial that showed mm-hmm. not the not the uh, the the performers from Beatlemania, it showed the Beatles. Right. So my dad, I'll never forget. He goes, Scott, he held up, held up London Town, holds up Band on the Run. So you like these albums, right? Yeah. He goes, this guy is this guy <laughs> so that whole Paul McCartney was in a band before Wings that that there's a, that is a joke that's for a, a reason that's a joke it's yeah, legit but, yeah. it is legit it exists for a reason so from that point on my parents had well they had Pepper yeah. they had Abbey Road but they had you know a lot of people are now yeah. they know Beatles for Sale they know sure. Rubber Soul they know With Vulgar. the Beatles yeah. Please Please Me but we had Beatles 6, Beatles 65, yeah. Something New, Beatles second album, Meet the Beatles. Mm-hmm. They had them all. Scratched up like crazy. Mm-hmm. That is how I discovered the Beatles. Pretty organically. And I talk love about that. organic. Yeah. It got really organic in 1987 when I was up at Penn State University. Makuga, yeah. Manson Makuga, yeah. Wild Man and Manson Man together. So I was up at Penn State the summer of 87. It was June of 87. And everyone, all the TV shows, all the news shows, the radio DJs, mm-hmm. celebrating the 20th anniversary of Sgt. Pepper. Right. So my roommate, my college roommate, huge music buff, walls and walls and walls of vinyl, he said, Sgt. Pepper is coming out on CD today. We have to get it. Compact disc. Compact disc. <laughs> we, we bought the long The long cardboard boxes attached to it? Oh, yeah. yeah. So yeah. we got the album, got the CD. Got high as a friggin' kite, <laughs> and my mind was blown. Yeah. And that was how I really got into the Beatles. Really turned it on. And turned me on, didn't you know? But I was also buying the CDs that had come out at that yeah. time. And a lot of my friends who are into music and you know, who are into the Beatles, they like the later Beatles. They like the drugged out Beatles of Abbey Road and the White Album. That's me a little bit. But okay. Yeah. yeah. 
see, I prefer the Beatles like you just described, those mop tops. Mm-hmm. I like them happy-go-lucky. Mm-hmm. That's why I love A Hard Day's Night. Oh, God, that's a great movie. I mean, it's just a great movie. It, it is. It is irresistible. It is. And they just looked like they were having the time of their lives. Yeah. It's infectious. Yeah. And it's hard to believe that Hard Day's Night had its world premiere in London on July 6, 1964. Mm. Less than five years later, those happy-go-lucky-looking mop tops looked like they were miserable making <laughs> Let It Be. When you watch with Let their it facial be, hairs, with the facial hair, yeah. and there's a whole exchange where I'll Paul play and George, what you want, Paul. Video, or I won't play at all. <laughs> Whatever is that pleases you, I'll do it. <laughs> oh my God, he's like trying to. Oh, it's it's torture. It's yeah. so. But yeah. but as a critic, that is what makes the movie unique mm. and powerful and yeah. fascinating. Is that it shows the Beatles breaking up at Twickenham Studios at Twickenham. 10 a.m. It's freezing. Yeah, freezing. And they were not warning people. They can't, we can't make music then. But Yoko, it, it, they were in the bed. Yeah. Listen, there are certain Beatles songs mm. that I, I'm sick to death of. Yeah. Like, if I never hear Yesterday or Let It Be or The Long Winding Road okay. ever again, I'm okay with You're that. You're okay with it. But there are certain Beatles, popular Beatles songs yeah. that I love and I will listen to them over and over again. My all-time favorite Beatles song, uh, I forget who asked me this the other day at the at the comic party. It might have been Makuga. says, what's your favorite Beatles song? Oh, it was, it was Ellis. Mark Ellis. Ellis yeah. I said, she loves you. Yeah. yeah because yeah, two, right. two and a half minutes, it's all perfect there. Perfect pop, man. Perfect, perfect yeah. song. Everything about the early Beatles, the yeah, yeah, yes, the woos. <laughs> it is a 50-50, <laughs> a true 50-50 Lennon-McCartney yes. collaboration. Back there, they yes. sat staring at each other with acoustic guitars wrote the song together yeah not oh mostly Paul John helped out or mostly John and Paul helped out they wrote that baby together George Bitter in the corner yeah yeah absolutely George Bitter in the corner yeah and and if you ask me mm-hmm. if you ask me I think that She Loves You is a better song than I Want to Hold Your Hand um, it has I, more I, energy I would agree I, mean, I, I Want to Hold Your Hand is great yeah that air is great. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you touched on something. One of the things I just uh, I can't fathom is is the time period in terms of how short amount of time they were around. One of my old DJ uh, coworkers when I was uh, working in rock DJ in the late 80s, excuse, late 80s, late, late 90s, um, he was like, uh, tried to tell me that Metallica was the better band because Metallica lasted longer. I was like, well, and look, Metallica is a, di- you're, you're comparing two different things, number one. And yeah, I actually, yeah. am, uh, I can appreciate and admire uh, Metallica for what they've accomplished. But um, the Beatles did this in like five years, man. <laughs> like they, changed, they changed the world like twice in, in five the evolution, years. The evolution. Yeah. Look at 1963. They're singing, She Loves You. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Six years later. I'm sorry. Not Scratch even, it. Three years three later, years, they are singing, turn off your mind, relax, and float, float downstream. downstream. This what? is not dying. Oh. Yeah, and then and then a couple. That's what I was saying. Then three years later, they're 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 different again. And and when I was in radio uh, at the time, like uh, here's the second album. It took four years to make for this band, and a lot of that's became again because it's become a business and there's touring, and then the studio or the record companies might not let you. I get it. I get it. The Beatles were of their time, but. It's that's an insane thing to comprehend. In 1963, the Beatles had two full-length albums, yeah. plus four singles. Yeah, 
like she loves you i want to hold your hand please please uh, uh for me to you they're not on albums right they were singles, singles. they were really singles and they were released mm-hmm. albums same thing with 1964 they had two full-length albums and like three singles 65 two full-length albums two or three singles we, we talked about the other night at meltdown we were talking about november 66 you got starberry fields penny lane followed by pepper in april yep. and by like the end of the year you got magical mystery tour yes <laughs> like that's one year's worth of work and and it's a lifetime in a year the evolution it's mm. just the evolution like mm. when you listen to i like help i think help is a it's a great pop album it's yeah, not yeah, groundbreaking no. yeah, yeah. but i love the night before i love you're gonna lose that girl mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh you like me too much mm-hmm. you know yeah and then mm-hmm. next album is rubber soul yeah which is very sort of like spare mm-hmm. like you know uh, uh, the, the, the lyrics are more mature. Yeah, and then the next year you've got Revolver. 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 I, yeah, and I, I don't think Rubber Soul gets the credit as much for being a, the transition album that it is, but Revolver is the one that was maybe in some ways more revolutionary than Pepper. I'm with you because Pepper was a, a, a exact as you know a, a, a basically a call to Brian Wilson and Pet Sounds going, okay, yep. we like that, we'll do this now. Mm-hmm. But Revolver is one that kind of was like, whoa, Taxman and all this stuff. Uh, um, yeah. I, I totally love the agree. beginning of that album. We mm-hmm. hear it. One, two, three. It's just great. Mm-hmm. But it's, even though I would say that Sgt. Pepper is the album in, in 87, yeah. that uh, it came out in 67, 87, when I really listened to it that night yeah. in, in Penn State, that was the album that turned me into uh, from someone who liked the Beatles mm-hmm. to being a Beatles fan. Yeah. But over the years, and it didn't take that long, actually. It, it it's still not an album that I would. That it's no, still not a go-to album. I don't for put me. it in a lot. I don't, I don't either. In. And for me, we talked about my my first time experiencing the Beatles was in a in a tent at a slumber party in 1987 uh, when I was in sixth grade. My friend Sean Phillips, my good buddy now out in Vegas, my music and sports guru, taught me everything I needed to know in sixth and seventh grade in pop culture, man. And he literally handed me this beat up cassette at my friend Brandon Bean's house at Brandon's birthday party. And Sean goes, "Hey, man, you, you ever heard the Beatles? Now we didn't toke one up like you did, my friend, but we probably had some uh, high C or apple juice at this roasted a marshmallow." and listen to this thing and I just don't know what it was it was mystical man it was mystical when you listen see the thing about Pepper is you listen to it whole you didn't listen to the individual songs right it is a whole album it is a complete body of work yeah where together as a whole the songs elevate each other if you listen to Getting Better Getting Better is a great song Mm -hmm. Lovely Rita great song Uh, Listening to Sky with Diamonds great song Fixing a Hole but together, the way they elevate each other, when you mm-hmm. go from the opening crowd of Sgt. Pepper to, okay, the Sgt. Pepper reprise, and yeah. then you hear the guitar come in, and then the piano, I read dun, dun. the news today, the echo, yeah. and then the last piano fade out into eternity. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It, it makes the hair on the back of my neck stand yeah. up. But song for song, hmm. Revolver yes. is a better album by far i would say when you listen to she said she said dr mm-hmm. robert mm-hmm. and your bird mm-hmm. can sing uh, yep. tomorrow never yep. knows norwegian wood man come on man tax man yeah and uh, i've got i want to tell mm-hmm. you my head is filled with oh, things to say yeah. <laughs> 
Oh, it's just great. And these guys made it look so easy. So they easy. made it look so easy. And, and I get nowadays, I mean, the, it seems like a new generation ever discovers them organically on their own, too. And I think that will always be the case. But you definitely, as, as I've gotten older in time, when I, even when I was in rock radio in the 90s, man, um, it was uh, some people's lost on them a little bit. And I, I understand. Look, if you, if you like the Stones better than that, you like the Who. I know some people like the I love the Who. But, love the Who. You know, Pink Floyd. I get it. I get it. This might not be. It, it, it's it's. It's three chords, it's three minutes, and it's love, man, it's love. So maybe the Beatles aren't your thing, but you cannot take away what the Beatles created in the studio. What the, the, they are, the to me, the template for every band that came after on how to do it, how not to do it. Uh, when I'm in sound recording class in college and they go, oh, here's this message, uh, this, this method, it's called flanging, uh, the creator was John Lennon. Oh, wow. <laughs> you know, like, come on. Like, okay. Yeah. Just yeah. brought you closer to it, didn't it? Yeah. When I learned how to play guitar, it was definitely like, wow, I can actually play these songs mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. Like, it made, it brought it closer. But in the world of music, yeah. there is the Beatles and mm-hmm. then there's everything else. Yeah, for it me, it really yeah. is. Because yeah. what happens, Ken, is I listen to the Beatles or I'll listen to McCartney or Lennon or Harrison. Sorry, Ringo. Uh, what ha- what happens is I'll listen to him. I'll get into him. I'll listen to him a no, lot, especially when I'm running. Don't come easy. God bless you, Ringo. But then I'll I won't listen to them for a while. Then yeah. I'll transfer to maybe the Stones or the Beach yeah. Boys or the Birds, which are a very yep. underrated band. Yep. Or the yep. Doors. I mean, that's my time. Roger McQuinn, baby. Or listen, I'll Roger McQuinn with that Rickenbacker. Yeah. He was inspired by Hard Day's Night. Yeah. But yeah, a lot of other music. I mean, I like The Police. I like Genesis. That's who I grew up with. I love sure. Oasis. We talked we, we about talked Oasis. We talked about Oasis. That's my, oh man, love my mentor. But what happens boys. is, after some time away from the Beatles, then I go back to them. I go back to them. Oh, you're so right. And I just go, ah. Oh. Yes. Here's what I there find too, in, in the age of iTunes and digital music and everything, I don't I don't have a CD player that works in my car, so I can't just listen to albums as much anymore. That is an old music DJ and a music critic uh, used to write for my uh, website years ago, Tiny Mixtape. So um, I, I bemoan the loss of just an album. It's it's harder to it, it's just so used to songs, and you make a, a list or a playlist or something. I find that very, very rarely do I put a Beatles song on any kind of other playlist I, I have. I'll listen to a lot of other stuff and stuff I love, like Oasis or Ryan Adams is one of my, not Brian, Ryan, uh, a lot of things like that. Um, the Beatles don't find a way into that list because to me it's so hard. They are they are the Beatles. They are this thing above, and I'm just like you. I sometimes get mad at myself because I don't know that song, track four on Revolver. I don't know what it is but as I did in my childhood or my youth, uh, so I get mad at myself like, God, the, the 17 year old you would hate yourself but then I do what you do I'll put on I'll just play the Beatles on my iTunes on the way up and get lost well the other thing is that there are a lot of other musicians they'll they'll have playlists yeah and with the Beatles especially with certain albums I will only listen to the full album yes because I want to experience the wholeness of it Mm -hmm. I mean my favorite we talked about this my, my favorite uh Beatles, whether it's Beatles album or Beatles solo, my number one favorite album of all time is Band on the Run. All right. It's it most a lot of it's sentimental and nostalgia. Absolutely. But it is an album that I purposely do mm. not listen to a lot mm. because I don't want to get sick of it. Yeah. It is an album that when I listen to it, I want to feel 
I want to feel from the opening guitar, you know. Bow, 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 bow. Um, yeah, I know what you mean from start to finish. Uh, off to, uh, Paul Simon Graceland, that is a life changing album for me. So that's, Great. I usually only listen to that when I know I can listen to the album on whole. Yeah. And, well, I, just to veer off from one Paul yeah. to another, yeah. Graceland and by extension, Rhythm of the Saints. Scott, Rhythm man, this is why Saints. we're friends. Yes, sir. Scott, Rhythm of the Saints is one of the most underrated albums that it followed a monster. I prefer Rhythm over Graceland. Really? I don't. Yes, I, I do. don't. But, but, um, oh, wow. We could talk for, uh, off about that. There's some great stuff. Great stuff uh, on, on um, first of all, I mean, Graceland, uh, Diamonds on the Soles of Her Shoes, Under yeah. African Skies. Is a song, yeah, that I appreciate God, a lot I, more I, now as an adult than I, when I was younger. But, but I, I get, I get. It's an emotional journey. It's an emotional journey, and then uh, "Crazy Love Part Two is a beautiful oh, song. Oh, great! The, the moment he starts singing too in uh, in uh, the all around the the, the last one uh, about over the mountain, down in the valley, listen former talk show host. He's talking about Burbank and everything. Like now, I'm like it had. Now that song has more meaning to me than it did ten years ago. Uh, 15 years ago but okay. God, Rhythm of the Saints man Rhythm of the Saints okay I mean The Obvious Child what a, what a way to open the album Obvious Child and yeah. then and then the next song it's just I can't run but, but I can I walk much faster can't run, can run but yeah. and then The Coast yes. beautiful song and then the way that the, 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 the next few songs and then it plays out to the song Rhythm of the Saints yeah. with them chanting and then it fades away yes and I'm just like Holy moly! That the, album took me to another world. It did. I'm 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 getting up the uh, um, track listing right now. She moves on. Born at the right time. Born, Born at, at the, the right, right time. time. It's great. Uh, yeah. Oh my God, Scotty Mance. We we should just talk about Rhythm music of and, the Saints. Drink whiskey all night. And um, who who's your favorite Beatle? Let's get oh, back to the five Paul. Paul. You're a Paul guy. Far and away, I'm which a Paul is guy. why you're so so excited about seeing McCartney last night, weren't you? I, I just it, it Paul. I love his music with the Beatles. I mean, mm-hmm. I love. John and George and all those guys, but sure. But Paul, hey man, I even like Pete best. His his wow, you're really forgiving. <laughs> Paul's music after the Beatles was so. It's interesting. It's so. It's so all over the place. It's also maligned at times, unfortunately. But when he's capable of greatness, like he is with Band on the Run yes. and with Tug of War, mm-hmm. okay, uh, and and Ram. Is a great album, Ramo. But uh, but when you hear an album like Ramo. McCartney Two, mm-hmm. okay, McCartney Two, I didn't like for a long time, mm-hmm. but now I love it because it was it was interesting that after the Beatles broke up, he did McCartney. After Wings broke up, he did McCartney, McCartney Two, and McCartney Two, the stuff on that album is so experimental. Temporary Secretary mm. is the ultimate love it or hate it song. Right, temporary. <laughs> Secretary, because he, he, if he wanted to, he'd take little risks and do. He uh, and he himself says that he doesn't get enough credit for being the artsy one in the Beatles, right. getting there before John. According, mm-hmm. they'll. I think they'll always have uh, uh, until the bitter end. They'll have. He'll have that little bit of competition in his sure, heart. Sure, to this day. Um, but I think uh, um, for me, McCartney. He became so maligned. I get it. He became, you know, maybe in the '80s, he got a little, little lazy, like a lot of artists might do at some point. Yeah. You know, we never got to see John in that period, unfortunately. Right. Would have loved to have the chance, but we never saw John, you know, guesting like on Nirvana. Pipes of peace, uh, yeah. press to play, not yeah. good albums. Uh, you know, um, give my regards to Broad Street or all that kind of stuff. Yeah, we, the '80s were bad. We never saw that, but I think McCartney. He's still he's not just still capable of it. He still delivers some amazing songwriting. Yes, he does. And this song, this last uh, album he has out new, um, great album. Uh, I'm trying to get the album up here. You know um, what song is great on new? Queenie Eye. 
Queenie, Queenie I. I. Queenie I. Who's got the ball? I in a pocket. Yep. Isn't in my pocket. O-U-T spells out. <laughs> out. That's out. Out. With the shadow of a doubt. We just got to do some great. private home Beatle Paul karaoke. We I'm do down that. for that. I'm a horrible singer, but we do. Uh, this, his song, Early Days, uh, is on that album. Yep. Great. It, it's a heart-wrenching one for me. It just, just has this tone to it I love. Everybody Out There is a good song. Yeah. And I, the, the, the album... His his recent work in the last ten years, mm-hmm. often overlooked and underrated, but the two thousand five yeah. album, mm-hmm. Chaos and Creation, Creation in the Backyard, yep, is in my top five as among his very best albums. There's some, you know, we were talking about that, and so I uh, and that's uh, funny. This iTunes, I had to change every, I had to change computers, and uh, and so a lot of my stuff is up in storage. Right. I, don't, I don't have anything from that album on this iTunes. It's disappointing. But that album is is a lot, in a lot of ways it's like Peppers and it's like Band on the Run in the sense that the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Right. That is also an album where I only listen to it when I know that I can listen to the whole thing. Yeah. And it's usually like when I'm running or if I'm going on a long drive like when I drove to San Diego for Comic Con I did listen to Chaos and Creation yeah. and there's no rocker on the album, but mm-hmm. there's no sappy McCartney ballad either. Right. It just, it just for whatever reason, that album it was is, yeah. perfect. There is, I'm getting the track listing on that too. Um, uh, thanks for Knapsack fan, uh, Knapsack file fans, for hanging through this. Uh, we're just having fun. Too much rain. Too much rain is one of my favorite McCartney songs of all time. It even beats some of the Beatles songs. It's no just kidding. A certain. Thing I have Jenny Wren's a great one too. English tea's fun. My favorite, my fa- one of my mm-hmm. favorite, my favorite song on this album. One of my favorite Paul mm-hmm. McCartney songs of all time. Track number two. How kind of you? Yes. Think of me. Yep. It is such a. It, yep. Now he wrote that song while he was with Heather. Yeah. Okay, but when you listen to the lyrics of that song, I feel like you wrote it for Linda. I, I, yeah, you said that, and I listened to it again the other night, and I think you might be right. I mean, just the the, the yeah. feeling behind that song. Yeah. You know, because he had gone through so much after the breakup of the Beatles, and Linda mm-hmm. really got him out of bed and made him start doing music again. Mm-hmm. The lyrics to that song, it's it's got Linda's name. And then I'm, I'm, we're still we're on, still on McCartney. Memory almost full. Um, Dance tonight is classic fun McCartney. I love I like that, that song. song. Yeah. I love, it's not great. It is what it is. But ever present past, ever is present great. past love is it. great. Love and it. then end of the end, which is starts with at the day on the day that I die. I mean, and you're hearing this as a Beatles fan, and here's McCartney sang, singing on the day that I die. Uh, I want stories to be told. Um, like it's an emotional song. It's it's. Uh, um, I'm getting chills thinking about it now. I love this song. I love I love his work, and I'm glad we can we share in that. Yes, where he is not the feathered hair McCartney singing, you know, love like songs. Yeah, um, with uh, with Linda, who he, I believe I think he had every right to choose whoever the hell he wanted to f- perform with. Yep, and, I agree. And he took a lot of he crap. Did her on stage? You know, that's uh, you know it was what it was, and I never I never got the heaping of scorn on him for that. What what ultimately sold me with Paul's relationship with Linda mm-hmm. was this: they were together nonstop except for eight days, mm-hmm. and seven of those days were when Paul was busted in Japan. <laughs> in Japan for marijuana, yeah. But that relationship, mm-hmm. and I remember when I was when I was in, in my darkest hour, yeah, feeling like I was never going to meet anybody, mm-hmm. thinking like, see, that's the kind of relationship I want. This, sure, this really loving, nurturing, supportive. Uh, a, a respectful relationship that they yeah. had with each other, I and mean, they really loved each other. Partnership, twenty nine yeah. years. Yeah. My people, friends, acquaintances, so many people know, and and my my reputation, my love for the mm. Beatles precedes me. Yeah. When I when I before I even walk in the room, 
that when Linda died on April 17th, 1998, mm-hmm. I got home that day before I had heard the news, and there were messages on my answer machine from four different people. That's how I found out about it. Really? You know, my friend Scott called me and says, hey, uh, hope you're doing okay. I just heard Linda McCartney passed away. Really yep. sorry. Beep. Hey, Scott. It's Jane. Just checking to make sure you're okay. Like, I knew her. Yeah, like you. Yeah, I get. Hey, uh, people. I I got similar uh, things about George Harrison's death. That's George was my guy. But, yeah. But the fact that Paul was able to pick himself up, mm-hmm. he met someone else that did not work out, cost mm-hmm. him a fortune, cost him a lot. <laughs> but he picked himself up again. Again, yeah. And he seems like he's doing yeah. okay this time. Yeah. And he still has that thumbs up, like yeah. positive. He's. He's a, an approachable guy. He's a generous guy. I mean, I don't know him personally, yeah. but I did meet him a few times. Are you yeah. want to hear a good story? I want to hear a good story. Okay, this is a great story. This is a great story. This is just for you. Oh, really? An exclusive, an just exclusive for you. Exclusive to the Knapsack okay. Files listening family. My first dance at my wedding mm-hmm. was My Love. That was the song. Mm-hmm. And I always, always, mm-hmm. growing up, I always wanted that song to be my first. And when I go away, I know my heart can stay with my love. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> that was the song. So yeah. I finally, finally get married. Yeah. That's our first dance. Not a Beatles song, a McCartney a song. McCartney song. Now, I'm a member of the Broadcast Film Critics Association. Right. At the Critics' Choice Awards, two months later, Paul McCartney's song for that movie, uh, uh, Every, everything's fine uh, everybody's fine with Robert De Niro yeah yeah it was called I Want to Come Home it was nominated for a Critics Choice Award so I was like oh my god I think Paul McCartney might be at the might awards so I'm sitting at the table with my wife and I'm sitting at the Star Trek table with Chris Pine and Zach Quinto nice could not have been happier nice so I look three tables over there's Paul McCartney oh wow and he's he's not I mean he's sitting with Nancy but it's not like he's got an entourage around mm-hmm. him so at the first commercial break I grabbed Andrea's arm and I like it was like a cartoon where I'm running over and she's just sort of like flying behind me. So I go over and he's sitting there. He turns around and I just said, "Hi, Paul." He gets up, turns around, shakes his hand, shakes, shakes my hand. And he says, "Hello, Scott." <laughs> and I said, "I said, great to meet you, Paul." And I said, I "said My name is Scott, and this is my wife Andrea." And uh, uh, you know, I I just started to say like. Our first dance, mm-hmm. the first song that, that we ever danced to, was My Love. Mm-hmm. So Paul goes like, he's like, oh my God. He gives us both a hug. Mm-hmm. He gives Andrea a kiss. Mm-hmm. And I said, uh, and she goes, she goes, wait, Scott, tell me what song you walked down the aisle to. And I said, it was And I Love Her. He goes, oh, wow, that's really, really great. So I said, hey, when are you touring again? And this was in this was in January of 2010. He goes, uh, probably in the next few months you'll probably see me play in L.A. And on uh, uh, March 30th he played Hollywood Bowl, so right. he, was, he knew. But then, so I'm telling you, for like five minutes, no one was lined up to meet him. Yeah, yeah. You know, he wasn't like distracted. Oh, hey, man, hey, hey. Yeah, nice you to know, see you again. It was it was like this. You, you and him. So then the the music started to play for everybody to sit back down in their chairs. And so Paul looks at us and he goes. Just be good to each other. Be good to each other and love each other. And we looked at each other and we're like, oh, thank you. You know, go and sit down. I sit down and there I'm sitting next to Chris Pine. Yeah. And, you know, Andrea's sitting next to John Cho and I'm sitting there like, oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Paul just like blessed our marriage. Yeah. <laughs> 
So he just gave you love advice. I, oh, I don't know what I'd do. Could not. Could not, I, mean, I could have said like, "Hey, man, Band and Run. I love that album. It's the yeah. first time I ever heard." But I made it personal. Yeah. And I told him that at my first dance was a song that he wrote for Linda. Linda, right? That must have hurt. That must have touched him. Yeah. Yeah. You could tell his reaction was. Oh, Absolutely. Just oh, thank you. Right. I mean, man. Ah, uh, man. I'll that, always what, have that. Can you? Know, I, I, uh, I. And you, again, you deserve it because you put yourself in those moments and oh, you open yourself went, up to I those moments, Scott. Oh. That's what you do, and that's a perfect way to kind of wrap up the show. We could probably be talking about Beatles for a long time we didn't even get into oasis and we could have a logger and talk about that maybe get in a fist fight in a bar um talk about oasis but uh man it has been uh man mance it has been a great time getting to know you on air and now off air and i hope we can continue looking forward to i that. might need to uh grab a, a, a gentleman drink with you one day off air definitely and maybe we'll just sing some beatles karaoke in a privacy of our own party really enjoying getting to know you yeah. on air off air and let the the hits will just keep on coming Ken. absolutely where where can the uh, fine folks the knapsack files listening audience find your work right now well most of it is on my personal website at mm. movie mance that's mm-hmm. with a tz.com right. i put all my reviews there all the on-camera work i've done for for access hollywood mm-hmm. for just seen it for ktla for the Today Show, right. and I'm definitely going to be posting the uh, link to yeah. profiles, profiles with Malone and Mance, yeah. and uh, hopefully a lot more stuff I'm going to hopefully do for Schmoes Now, because yeah. I sure do love those yeah, guys. You can find that one on Schmoes No Network on iTunes. Subscribe, rate, and review to that one, just like you're going to do for the Knapsack Files, right, folks? And find us on Facebook. We have a page there for you to like, the Knapsack Files. You can follow me uh, at Twitter, at Ken Knapsack, and Scott at... Movie Mance with a TZ. TZ. And uh, we've got some, uh, the Knapsack Files back up and running here we got some great uh, episodes some guests we got ms malone coming in Yay. a little bit later to do a one-on-one and uh talk about all her favorite movies so that's gonna be about a five-hour podcast yep um but uh, it's been great having you in man thanks for taking time thanks out of your so much busy man. schedule you're a jet setter uh but uh, i appreciate you stopping by so until next time this has been ken napsock for scott mans and the napsock files we will see you next time